Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole triggers a campaign review. We're going to work together to undertake what went right, what went wrong, and learn and build trust with Canadians. We got closer in a lot of parts of the country, but not close enough. Next time we will. Jagmeet Singh says the NDP will use their leverage in this minority parliament. We're not looking for ways to, to force an election. We think that's uh, not the, not the goal. And, and Canadians sent us a clear message. They want us to continue working. They want us to get back to work. We want to get back to work to do exactly what Canadians need. And so we'll do that. And Alberta Premier Jason Kenney faces calls from within his own party to resign. We are focused on one thing, which is getting through this fourth wave and preparing for whatever else COVID may have in store for us in the future, not on politics. It's Wednesday, September 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Let's talk first about Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. O'Toole said yesterday he's going to initiate a review of the election strategy. I know there are already lots of Conservatives talking about whether it was the right approach to take the party towards the centre, whether that exposed them too much to losing votes to the People's Party of Canada. Uh, What do you think comes next for the Conservatives and for Aaron O'Toole? Well, you know, it's hard to escape the idea that the Conservatives um, are a party really in search of its own soul, if you will. Um, You know, Canadians knew for many, many decades uh, kind of what the Conservative Party meant. You know, a slightly right-of-center Conservative Party focused on fiscal probity and, uh, and a mild approach to social issues. They sort of stayed out of them. Um, and, um, you know, the, since the Harper era and the formation of the present day Conservative Party of Canada, uh, there's been a, a drift to the right, which, as they've seen, is, is not always what Canadian voters want. So trying to find its way back into the center where you've got a great big mo- monstrous blob called the Liberal Party sprawled all over the middle of Canadian politics. It's awful hard to find space in there, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to make your campaigns and to, to differentiate yourself from the other parties. So it's, it's a real challenge. And, and you know, O'Toole is going to have justified questions about his leadership as well. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to make a political statement that is different from the party orthodoxy. And uh, but quite another, if you're not able to carry that message to the voter. And I think there's that's partly where the issue is, too. And I think that's likely what uh, they're going to have to confront now, along with their sort of policy agenda. Yeah, and it's obviously a big challenge for conservatives, and it's a familiar one for them. Where do they place themselves on the spectrum so they're able to to take votes away from potentially from the liberals from the middle of the spectrum without being imitation liberals and without losing votes on the other side of the spectrum. I'm sure Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives were relieved that Maxime Bernier didn't win a seat, that the People's Party of Canada didn't win any seats, but they still got 5% of the popular vote. And I know that didn't all necessarily come from Conservatives or people who would have voted Conservative, uh, but it's still significant, right? 
It is significant, and it's, it's probably significant beyond just that raw number. Uh, I mean, they got 5.1 percent, you know, of the vote on on September 20th. Um, you know, where it goes from here is not clear. I mean, uh, Bernier is not going to have a, a seat in the House of Commons. Um, you know, they really have been rejected all over the country in every all 338 ridings. That's what uh, I think uh, those who are fighting for a more rational approach to politics have to remember. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's there and it can't be ignored. Um, but, you know, the, it's not from trying to pick off uh, the extreme elements on the right that the conservatives will fight their way back into power. They have to eat into liberal support. They have to take votes away from the liberals because each one of those is a vote that, you know, it's, it's like a net two. They're getting their own vote and one away from the Liberals. If they're just capitalizing more on more votes from the right, they're adding them at a much slower incremental rate. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues there uh, that they have to think through. Um, they're going to have a year or two and maybe even a bit longer, uh, depending on how things turn out. But, uh, uh, they're going to have a bit of time to think it over, but minorities are inherent, inherently stable, and they're not the best time to engage in long-term, uh, you know, uh, forehead-tugging type of discussions among the party insiders. All right, let's turn to the NDP, Dan, and uh, Jagmeet Singh picked up, it appears, one extra seat. Uh, despite being the most popular leader, uh, according to the opinion polls, and despite running what many people described as a really good campaign and communicating very effectively, he's popular, but his party isn't uh, quite so popular compared to the Conservatives and the Liberals. Uh, he said he intends to stay on as leader, that he's not worried about losing that role. Uh, what's next for the NDP? Well, I think within the party... Uh, itself, just judging from the people I know in the party, uh, you know, they, he seems to have massive support. The New Democrats love him, and uh, he has brought a lot of dynamism and energy. He's he's reached out across cultural uh, uh, lines to new potential constituencies for the NDP. But you can't ignore the fact that they only managed to turn out 17.7%. Uh, on election day of the of the total vote, so you know that is a disappointing uh, result for the NDP. And uh, but you know what, they're they've got to uh, fight their way to the front of this pack of of lesser parties, if you will. I mean, uh, the non-liberal and conservative parties got I think around thirty four percent of the vote altogether, and uh, that's more than the liberals or the conservatives got. So. The Canadians are looking for other alternatives, uh, but, you know, I think the NDP has to be able to cast itself, I think, as a moderate um, and progressive party that is not carrying around the baggage of, of the Liberals. Uh, you know, so, you know, the Liberals do have a lot of baggage, and some of that baggage is the Prime Minister himself. And uh, I don't know how that's going to get resolved because, you know, Trudeau won the election. He's going to be in a very difficult position to to uh, attack, I think. And there is no sort of obvious alternative. So I think what you have is a situation now with all three major parties at a bit of a crossroads. 
in terms of their leadership and wondering which way to take it. But, um, you know, this is a very disappointing result for the NDP, I think, overall. All right, Dan, let's talk about the situation in Alberta. Uh, the, the Premier, Jason Kenney, is facing calls from a number of different fronts, including from within, within his own party, to resign. There's a lot of, of uh, criticism over the handling of the most recent wave of the pandemic, how the government opened up uh, the province uh, this summer, and, uh, and that led to a spike in, in uh, coronavirus infections, um, some of the highest in the country, in North America. Um, and uh, the, the premier uh, basically shuffled his cabinet yesterday. There's a new health minister. Um, and uh, so uh, just give me your thoughts on, on what's happening in Alberta, uh, what that says about uh, how the pandemic is being handled, and the future of Jason Kenney as the premier of the province. Well, I mean, you know, Alberta is helping to keep the pandemic alive in Canada, and the actions of the Kenny government are at the root of that. Uh, They had choices every step of the way to uh, do better restricting the spread of coronavirus and didn't. And, you know, we're going to have the best summer ever, and Yahoo, let's have the Calgary Stampede and all this kind of stuff. And it's blown up massively in the face of Jason Kenney and his government. I mean, uh, pushing uh, the health minister off the end of the gangplank and into the into the dark water below is only one minor step that could be done uh, in in Alberta. You know, Mark, I've been a journalist for more than 40 years. I can never remember at any time in my life in this country seeing a government mishandle something so badly with such massive consequences. People are dying. It's not like, oh, the budget deficit got too high or, you know, we failed to pass the gas mains enabling bill. This is life and death. And uh, somehow Jason Kenney, I watched him yesterday. He was looked like he was terrified. And, you know, he well should be because, I mean, if his party takes him down, which they well might do, and kicks him out, he'll be leaving uh, on the heels of this public health disaster with Albertan families burying their their loved ones, um, and his leadership, um, in air quotes, his leadership being at the base uh, of this problem. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Kenny's mishandling of COVID uh, hurt the Conservatives, not only in Alberta, but right across Canada. And I'm sure there are a lot of federal conservatives who are titanically angry at the handling of COVID in Alberta. And it has to come right back to Kenny. So, I mean, how he holds on, I don't know. Um, you know, I, uh, the, there seems to be intelligence that a lot of the UCP uh, riding associations are banding together to force him into a leadership review sooner than had already been planned. So, you know, a lot is going on there. But, I mean, this is, uh, they really have got a long way to go to sorting this thing out. And uh, that he's decided to suddenly, you know, uh, is, uh, this revelation on the road to Damascus that he's now got to do something as the leader of the province is, is a bit late. And um, I don't know. I mean, if I was an Albertan, I would be furiously angry at the government. And I think a lot of people are out there. 
and uh, it is spread across into the federal situation. Mark, the biggest issue in the federal election was still COVID-19. It wasn't all these other things. It was still handling the pandemic. This is the biggest issue that confronts Canada right now, and it takes authentic leadership to get us through it, and that's what they're not getting in Alberta. All right. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. Millions of Canadians have chosen a progressive plan. Some have talked about division, but that's not what I see. That's not what I've seen these past weeks across the country. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Andrew McDougall argues Justin Trudeau squandered his political capital for nothing. McDougall writes, This Prime Minister doesn't do humility, and Canadians shouldn't expect any in the coming years. Justin Trudeau will treat Monday's loss as a win and try to move on. And make no mistake, it was a loss. You don't call an election you didn't need to call, return the same result, and get to claim victory. Trudeau rolled the dice, spent five weeks picking at scabs, and lost. A failure like that should lead to a change in tone and approach, but it won't. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, Voters have humbled all the parties, and the leaders should learn the lesson. The Star writes, Canadians have cut the leaders down to size for a collective failure of leadership and sent them back to Ottawa suitably chastened. They've made it crystal clear they have no appetite for another vote for a long time. It will be up to the government to demonstrate that it has learned the lesson voters delivered on Monday. It won't come naturally. Federal liberals aren't known for being humble. But they would be foolish to revert to their old ways, given the experience of the past five weeks. In the National Post, John Iveson argues Justin Trudeau shall reap the whirlwind. Iveson writes, At the end of such a dispiriting campaign, none of the leaders emerged having achieved what they set out to do. And this humbling result tells Justin Trudeau that there is no groundswell of enthusiasm for his leadership. A healing must begin, but it is far from clear that he is capable of reaching out to those with whom he disagrees. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues Aaron O'Toole and the Conservative Party are bracing for an ugly war over his shift to the left. Mason writes, There is little doubt Aaron O'Toole is girding for an internal fight, one that could get very loud and very messy. He signaled in his concession speech that he has no intention of making any kind of dramatic course correction. Canada is not a predominantly conservative country, and O'Toole knows this. The internecine war we are about to witness will have its roots in Alberta, but will be waged across the country. O'Toole should brace for impact. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, September 22nd. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca for continuing coverage of the results of the federal election campaign. And join me for Have Your Say today and every day for the rest of the week at 12 Eastern Time on CPAC. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.